0: we are going to continue to dig into the topic of God's mercy and the devil's grace. Now, last week, we really primarily focused on God's mercy part, the front part of this title. And one of the things we did, which is critically important, is that we sought to define biblically what is grace. And what we discovered is the best way The most comprehensive, the purest definition that we can receive in regard to grace is one word, and that is the name of Yeshua, a name above all names, a name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to, a name which actually means in the Hebrew salvation. If you read Matthew chapter 1, we're actually told, you shall call him, that his parents were instructed, you shall call him Yeshua, because he will save his people from his sins. In addition to that, we discovered another characteristic of the grace of God. And this this characteristic is if you truly want to understand this concept, if you want to appreciate this concept, you've got to get this right. And that characteristic is that it is a free gift. It's free. You cannot buy it with money. You think about uh, could you imagine a conversation this kind of goes back to what I was alluding to last week Could you imagine a conversation with the father and his son, Yeshua, and saying to his son, "Son, I'm sorry, but the inhabitants of the land whom I have created have bargained for your life. They have offered me two trillion dollars." You see how ridiculous that sounds. Therefore, son, you're going to go have to die for them. The concept of being able to buy your salvation is ludicrous. It's a free gift. Let me take it a step further. You can't earn it. No matter how righteous you think you are, no matter how good, good deeds, how many you do within the Torah itself, it's not going to be enough you will fall short. Why? Because the land, the, the law will stand up against you and it will condemn you to death because it will look at the little times that you fell all along the way and in the big times. It will stand up and convict you. That's why it's required. That's why it's a free gift. We can't buy it. We can't earn our way in. However, having said that, Listen to me very carefully. The gift does come with conditions. And I know we don't like conditions. This is not something we gravitate towards you. And I can tell you John Calvin did not like this term conditional. He preferred unconditional. I'm going to tell you right now, biblically speaking, the grace of God is very, very conditional. Hear me out. And let me explain what I mean And I'll use an illustration, if I will. If I was sick, one of my organs was failing. And you knew I was going to die. And one of you said, well, I want to help him. I know Daniel. He's a nice guy. I want to help him. I have love for him. You offer your organ to me. I didn't pay for it. I didn't deserve it you willingly were willing to give it to me now here's the thing if you offer that organ to me and i refuse it what good will it do me it will do me no good in other words what i'm saying to you the free gift of grace it is conditional upon acceptance you have to accept the gift Well, that leads to the next question Well, exactly how do we accept this free gift, the free gift of grace? Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, a verse we looked at last week, and this is what we read. For by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. Notice, Paul does not say, by grace you've been saved, that's it. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. That's not the structure of this passage. The structure is, it's by grace, Through faith. The through faith is the acceptance. That's the acceptance of this beautiful free gift. But then that leads us to the next question, faith in what? Right? I mean, if you're not familiar with Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, faith in what? Faith in whom? Well, Yeshua answers this in the Gospel of John, in that famous passage, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whoever believes in him, faith, acceptance, that's what this is, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world. Now, to fully appreciate, this kind of goes back to what we touched on last week. You need to understand, the law brings condemnation. It convicts you. And remember what we read in the Gospel of John in chapter 1? The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua. Grace and truth came through Yeshua. And here we see that Yeshua himself, he says, God sent me into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. That's it. That's the story. This is the beautiful story of grace. And let me just, I just want to interject this before we continue If there's something that the enemy is telling you that you are not worthy of the faith and there's no point in you going pursuing the Lord because you have failed too many times, that is a lie. No matter what you have done, I'm telling you right now, biblical fact is you have hope. You have hope in Yeshua. Give your life to him. Believe on him. Believe him and he will forgive your sins. This is the most important message of the universe. Amen? Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. doesn't say you might be, you will be saved. For with the heart, now it gets into detail here, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, there's a reaction to the faith. There's a reaction here. It's a chemical reaction, if you will. You will believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Continuing on in verse 11. For the scripture says, and I love how Paul always does this, he goes to the Tanakh to prove his point. Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Again, understanding that relationship of law and sin of the law in fallen mankind, the law puts us to shame. It is perfectly righteous. It is perfectly holy. And guess what? We were not. We failed. It puts us to shame. But Isaiah prophesies. we say the Holy Spirit prophesied that whoever believes in him, referring to Yeshua of Nazareth, he will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Understand something. Salvation is not afforded just to the wealthy. It's to the rich, to the poor, the free, the slave, the Jew, the Gentile. All humanity. God so loved the world. This grace is available for everyone. But it is conditional. We must believe. And then he goes on. For whoever, and this is Joel 2.32. This is actually come straight out of Scripture. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, referring to Yeshua, calling upon that name, the name of salvation. So we look at this, and this is what it takes for, God, uh, for us to accept God's free gift. I think, you know, as I go through this, most of you are going, well, well Daniel, this is pretty simplistic stuff. We got this right off the bat. This is faith. One hundred and one. Uh, I understand that, uh, but the first thing is: is how efficient are you at conveying this reality? This is the gospel. The second thing is: is unfortunately, it doesn't end here. There's more to talk about in regard to the grace message. In fact, there was something that kept the apostles up at night. Something concerning the grace of God, how it interacts with us, how we look at it, how we protect it, shall I say, something kept them up at night in regard to the scenario. what was that? It was the fact that they were worried that the believers who actually received this beautiful gift of grace were in danger of losing it. And I say, in danger of having it taken from them. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. We then as workers together with him also plead with you. Oh, look at this, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. What is Paul talking about? Since when is the grace, when can that be taken? Is it possible for us to receive it in vain? Well, the obvious answer to that is yes. Why else would Paul send out the warning? If it wasn't a very real danger, if there wasn't a risk of it, of us losing it, he would have never said it. But he does say it. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7. You know, and when you get into this component of the grace message, this is where things get really, really scary. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, we read the following. Scariest passage in Scripture, at least for me. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Now, the first thing he, I always like to identify here is these individuals know Yeshua by name. They, of and of themselves, they're on a first name basis with him. They are calling upon him. Lord, Lord, and look at what they say. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Understand something. These aren't normal believers. These guys labored, men and women, laboring for the kingdom of God, doing awesome deeds for his name, not for Baal, not for any other false god, but for the name of Yeshua They went out doing these things. Very, very powerful. You look at this, and the people that would have witnessed them would have been in awe in the faith. Did you hear that person? He prophesied. The Spirit fell upon him, and he prophesied. Did you see that person? He went out, and he cast out devils, doing wonders. I mean, you need to appreciate the context of what's going down right now. And listen to what he says in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I want to be very clear because I've had some very interesting conversations. And this component of I never knew you gets into Calvinism. It gets into the concept of, and I want you to be aware of this that there are many people, not just believers, but many teachers that will teach you that these individuals who were prophesying, who were casting out demons, they were never saved. Because the Lord says, I never knew you. What they're not realizing is is this statement is consistent with Scripture. And understand something. You go back to Ezekiel 18. It says, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and then commits iniquity, all the righteousness he has committed will be forgotten. As though it never existed. It ceases from existence. That's imperative for you to understand that. And the context of what Yeshua is really saying is you're completely distorted and miss the gravity, the fear that this should compel upon you, that should impress upon you, the fear of the living God. The reason he says, I never knew you because it was forgotten. Someone who is blotted out of the book of life is as though they never existed Read Isaiah 65. The former things will never be remembered. They cease from existence. It's a reality. So here Yeshua says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now interesting, why? You who practice lawlessness. These men did exactly what Ezekiel 18 said. The Lord sent out that warning. When a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, it will all be forgotten he will be forgotten. They commit torlessness. They embrace sin. They embrace things that are abominable to the living God. I want you to understand something about these people. They never thought for a moment they weren't under grace. Every aspect in this context of what we read, they were under the impression that we're under grace. The ironic thing is is at the end of the age, they find out that they're under law. That they're under the Torah. They're dumbfounded. And this is, this is frightening. This is frightening when you read this in its context. I show you this because I want you to value. I want you to understand the value of the grace of God. And how it has to be protected. You have to defend that free gift. Lest you give it away, or lest it be taken from you and you not even know it. As such is the case here. These men did not even know they did not have the grace of God. Hebrews 12, 14, we go on with warnings. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Isn't that interesting? The Lord says, be holy as I am holy. These are his words. This is the call. This is the call for his elect. Without which, no one will see the Lord looking carefully. Beware. This is what the writer is saying. Beware. Beware of what? Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Believe it or not, you can fall short of the grace of God. I think there's a good reason if you read Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, he says, work out your salvation in fear and in trembling, right? Paul knew something. He knew something. He knew what was at risk. He knew what was in danger of being taken. If, in fact, this is what saves us, you might think the adversary, Hasatan, is going to come out to take it, to come, to steal, to kill and destroy. Absolutely. You know, you read scripture, warning after warning after warning, we're given. Do not take the grace of God in vain. Do not fall short of the grace of God. The question is, how do you take heed to these warnings? I mean, I could show you warnings all day long in scripture, but what do we do? I mean, I'm a kind of guy that no, I want answers. What do we need to do? Well, let me take you to Psalms one oh three, verse seventeen, and this is what we read. But the mercy of the Lord... Now, what's the subject matter here? It's the grace of God. This is the mercy of God. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who do what? Remember His commandments to do them. You want mercy? You need to obey We need to walk in righteousness. That's a reality. We want to retain this. This is how you do it. No, your righteousness in and of itself will not save you. It is by grace through faith. But what is faith? Faith without works is dead. Complete your faith by walking in the footsteps of the Most High embracing the grace of God. Daniel, in his prayer, listen to what he says. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome Elohim, who keeps his covenant, oh, look at that, and mercy, mercy, mercy with those who love him and keep his commandments. You want mercy? According to Daniel's prayer, you keep his commandments. This is the response. This is part of, of faith, hence acceptance. It's part of the ultimate, it's part of the acceptance of the living God. You think about Yeshua in John chapter 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, and you read the the Decalogue, read the Ten Commandments, the same thing, showing mercy unto thousands that love me, showing mercy to those who love me and keep my commandments. This, This theme keeps rolling over and over and over again. It's amazing the blindness that Hasatan can impose upon believers. Those who enter into a real relationship with Yeshua understand there's a natural progression. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, I want to please him. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit does one thing. It's like a river, a rushing river. It flows one way, and that is to Yeshua. It's to walk in righteousness. It's to do good. Listen to, Timothy's, uh, to Paul's words to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Mashiach depart from iniquity. You want to take the holy name of Yeshua upon your lips? This is what needs to happen. You don't run back into sin. You flee iniquity. You flee idolatry. You flee covetousness. You flee sexual immorality. You take that name upon your lips and then you confess that name before men. You cannot continue to walk in sin because if you do, you are a blasphemer. I don't know about you, but I've read the word blasphemers do not make it. You will end up like the men And Matthew 7, 22. Let me take you back to a passage we looked at last week. And I did something a little interesting. Some of you might catch this. But I showed you a few passages last week, only half in context. Merely just looking at the reality that we're not saved in and of ourselves by our works. But today, we're going to look at the full context. And I did that intentionally. Intentionally. But let's go back to what we covered last week Galatians 2:16 Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law but by faith in Messiah Yeshua even we have believed in Messiah Yeshua that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the words uh, the works of the law for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified very simple Paul could not make it clear you can't do it on your own it's by faith in Yeshua does he end here he does not listen to what he says next but if while we seek to be justified by Mashiach we are also are found sinners is Mashiach then a minister of sin think about that he says certainly not for if I build again those things which I destroyed I make myself a transgressor in other words, we take the holy name of Yeshua upon our lips, we profess to the world, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. You do that, you have to do what he says to Timothy. You must flee iniquity and idolatry. Because if you don't, and you embrace sin while confessing his name, now you're telling the world that Yeshua, yeah, that the Yeshua you serve, he's a minister of sin and lawlessness. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. That should terrify you going, I need to change my ways. I need to let go of the world and all the things of the world because how am I, we are supposed to be ambassadors of Christ, but how do we look in the eyes of the world? Are we ambassadors or are we blasphemers? All part of the grace message. Who knew? Titus, going to what Paul says to his brother Titus, For the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men. We looked at this last week, and this is the definition. This is Yeshua. Yeshua brings salvation. He's appeared to all men. But look at what he goes on to say. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. In other words, if I say I'm under grace, I'm saved by the grace of the living God, guess what? I should be taught I should be taught. It should teach you something. What does the grace, the real grace message teach you? To run for your life from sin. That's what it teaches you. Look at this. Denying ungodliness and worldliness. How do we define what is ungodly? Right here. So if I say I'm under the grace of God... And I really have that appreciation. I have the fire of the Holy Spirit. It will lead me in one direction. And here it is. I will start investigating his word. I will hunger for it. I will have a passion for it. I will turn the TV off. I will stop watching these crazy videos on YouTube. This is what will happen. This is what grace teaches me. And what is grace? Put it in context. It's Yeshua. If I'm a servant of Yeshua, he will teach me. And what will he teach me? Righteousness. That's we're starting to get somewhere. We're starting to see we're separating the sheep from the goats right here. Unfortunately, many of the churches today they have traded this teaching for another teaching, one that makes them feel more comfortable, one that doesn't offend the masses. They have their leaders crying out, and the the, the sheep are crying out to the leaders, speak smooth things to us, prophesy deceits, they have itching ears, professed believers running around crying out, grace, grace, we're all under grace, so it doesn't matter what you do, don't let it bother you. And they're going in to sever the conviction of godly sorrow over people that do feel bad. See, the mantra today is our actions don't have consequences because we're all under grace. Understand something. Exodus 23, the Lord is very clear. He will not justify the wicked. It will not happen. You read Psalm 5, 5, and these are my words. These are the Lord's words. The Lord hates all workers of iniquity. He hates workers of iniquity. Malachi 1, Jacob I have loved but Esau I have hated. Hebrews chapter one, talking about Yeshua and his heart, what was in his heart. And it says regarding Yeshua, he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. That was the heart of our king. It's enough for a servant to be like his master. Amen. We should hate lawlessness. We should hate unrighteousness. I'm telling you right now, when you really begin to peel back the layers of the grace of God and and how the Bible defines it, and then you look at the church and see what's happening in the church, how the church has redefined, repackaged biblical grace, it is devastating to the faith. And I can tell you this, what we are witnessing today, it is not God's mercy, it is the devil's grace. That's the truth. The church has replaced that beautiful mantle that hangs over the head of the church, this beautiful, the golden rule, you will reap what you sow. One of the most basic fundamental principles in all of the Bible. You will reap what you sow. And the modern-day church has stripped that down, and they had hoisted up, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And that statement was made by a Satanist, a very famous Satanist. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And what they would add is the law of grace. This is what they're they're being taught, is that through the law of grace, you can do whatever the dictates of your heart tell you, and there will be no penalty. Hosea 10, 12 begs to differ. Sow for yourself righteousness and reap and mercy you get it? You sow righteousness and you will obtain grace. See, this is consistent. No matter where we go in scripture, through the Old Testament or the New Testament, this is the truth. Do you want the truth? Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let me give you my version. Are you insane? Paul says, certainly Not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Let's look at what Peter has to say. In 2.24, Yeshua who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. It doesn't say that I might live for myself. That I might live according to the desires of the world. I have to live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. See, what's on the forefront of Peter's mind in regard to moving in righteousness was a sacrifice. A sacrifice he appreciated, even unto death. He was willing to stand for that sacrifice, for that grace. Never willing to give up that free gift that was given to him. Very powerful. David. So we look, I mean, we're looking at all these guys. We're looking at Hosea. We look at what Paul says. We look at what Peter says. We looked at what John says. What does David say? King David. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord, Yehovah, is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And what does he do? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Understand? This all goes back to being led. If Yeshua is my master, remember what grace does, what Paul said, it will teach us. One thing I can tell you, and David's confirming this, if I say I am under grace, if I say Yeshua is my master, I will go one direction. I will go in the path of righteousness. If I say I follow you, Yeshua, and I walk, should only lead me one way, righteousness. But if I confess Yeshua, it's you who I follow but I walk down another path, and I go down the path of sin, I am deceived. And this is what is happening with the modern day church. I want you to understand something. And listen to this statement very carefully. The law of God, the commandments of God, they will never take you to a place where the grace of God cannot keep you. Do you understand? So the commandments of God will never bring you to a place where the grace of God cannot keep you. But I'll tell you this, the devil will. He will take you to a place where the grace of God will not keep you because it will not fall upon you because the Lord will not justify the wicked. This is reality. First John 3, 2, we read the following. Beloved, now we are children of Elohim, And it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, what do they do? They purify themselves just as he is pure. This is the effect. Again, the effect of someone who has received the free gift. It prompts them to do something. We now purify ourselves just as he is pure. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, this is the goal. This is where we need to go. 1 John, again, but going to chapter 1, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, but if, and I circle that word if, or not, I do, (laughs) but if, We walk in the light as he is in the light. Ah, then we have fellowship with one another, meaning the elect of God. You become part of a family, a sacred family, and the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach, his son, cleanses us from sin. If, go back to the if, if we walk in the light. So righteousness, reap mercy. This is the deal. It's consistent all the way through Scripture. We keep reading the same stuff. I think the Lord's trying to tell us something. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua HaMashiach, the righteous. Well, it's interesting if you look here and you really understand what John's conveying. Ultimately, what is he doing? He's protecting the grace of God. He's protecting the free gift given to his brethren. That's what he's looking for, and he knows what sin does to it. He knows the destruction that sin will rot upon that. So he sends out this this beautiful warning to not sin, but then he gives you hope, an authentic hope, not a falsified hope, not to make you feel good, so that you can go to sleep at night. He gives you a hope. But if you fall, get back up. Yeshua can save you. Yeshua can save you. Moving on to verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him. This is the test. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, test yourselves to know whether you are in the faith. What does that test look like? It's right here. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word truly the love of God has been perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Again, again, again. We see the same thing. Move to righteousness. Walk in his commandments. One of the, again, frightening things that's happening. You look in the modern day church, they have no clue what the Old Testament says. They have been told it is a curse. They have been told it is antiquated. There is nothing there for them. And this is what Hasatan has peddled. This is what the devil has sold them. And they've bought it hook, line, and sinker. I want to close today by taking you back. I'll take you back to the days of Noah, back to the book of Genesis. And if, if you enjoy studying the Bible as I do, uh, I'm just going to give you a real brief tip. If you're ever looking to study a particular topic or a particular word, there's a good practice to get in the habit of doing. And that is go to the first time you ever see that word being used in Scripture and look at the context. Analyze the context of this. There's a good foundation to begin your investigation of whatever it is you're looking into. Well, for us, the matter is grace. And so we're going to go back to the very first time this word is used in Scripture. And interestingly enough, it's utilized in the story of Noah. Okay? So let's go back to Genesis 6-7. And this is what we're going to read. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Ah, but then it says in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so here we have the backdrop, and it's prophetic. The whole thing is prophetic. You think about, I mean, we read this right now, nothing more could apply to us than this story. Yeshua says, as the days of Noah will be, so also will the coming of the Son of Man. I am telling you right now, and I can show you from Scripture, we are living in the days of Noah. These are the days that we are living in. The earth is so vile and so corrupted and so perverse right now, it's reached its precipice. This is what happened in Noah's day. The earth was so vile, you had angels coming down and and, and amalgamating with, with earthly women, teaching them heavenly secrets that were never to be shared and just perverting the entire land. Giants were born, evil spirits went forth, totally demonic. We are living in the days of Noah, completely demonic. And here we see in this context, in this reality, the Lord looked down and he saw Noah. And Noah found grace, found hen in the Hebrew he found hen in the eyes of the Lord. The question is why. Honestly, I want to know what is it about Noah. Why not just say, okay, the Lord created all these people, and there's an estimate you can all interesting all sorts of scholarship on this. I don't know if I even classify it scholarship, but ideas. In regard to the population of the earth. And do you know that there's, there's a lot of momentum of scholars uh, that believe that there was around 7 billion people on planet earth during that time? Which, interestingly enough, we just passed. Okay? But be that as it may, don't hang my head, I do find that interesting. But why not say, save 3.5 billion? The Lord made all this, he created all this. Why not save half of them at least? Okay, kill the rest I mean, how did the Lord determine that, okay, grace is going to fall upon this one? No one else is mentioned. Yes, eight people are saved. One is mentioned Noah. Why? Well, as we continue in the very next verse, we find out. This is what we read. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Ish Zadik. He was a righteous man, which means he walked. In righteousness, he kept the commandments of the Lord. It says he was perfect in his generations, and he walked with God. This is very simple to understand. If I walk with God, I'm a righteous man. If I say I'm a righteous man, not that I, but God, if God deems me to be righteous, that means I'm walking with Yeshua. Very, very simple. Why did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord right there? And so this is all having to do... You start to see this pattern over and over again. You want to retain the free gift of God. You want that grace to be applied to you instead of coming at the end of the age and being totally surprised. Do what Noah did. Do what the Apostle Paul tells you to do. Do what the Apostle Peter tells you to do. Do what Yeshua commands you. If you love me, keep my commandments. Let me just further prove this. Testimony of two is always valid. Going to the next chapter... The Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, the Tevah, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Didn't matter about the masses. I wonder, considering we have 7 billion people on the planet, if 6.99999 billion were all wicked, would you have the strength to walk in righteousness? would you have the strength to endure? Because I'm going to tell you something right now. The days are coming very soon, and this intimidation tactics of the enemy is going to come in harder and harder. Right now is easy to live in the faith, but they're not going to be. I mean, in the Middle East, we have people being decapitated. These people are willing to die for their faith to confess Yeshua as Lord, as the ultimate Messiah. Scary stuff. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. And the reason I want to take you here is I want to show you, because we're putting all this together. We, it's like we try to compartmentalize too much, and we've got to be careful. But when the writer of Hebrews looked back on Noah's life, And knowing that because of his righteousness, because of his following the Lord God, grace was given to him. Listen to how the writer articulates what he read. He read the same thing we just read. But listen to how he articulates it. It's beautiful. By faith. It's how he starts off because that's the reality. It is by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Ah, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we're not, we don't have time to get into it today, but the symmetry between the days of Noah, the life of Noah, and the symmetry that exists today is mind-blowing. you got to remember that, you know, look at what he identifies here, the writer. He identifies that the, 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 the date, it was, it was, he was forewarned of something that he couldn't see, but he was told by God it's going to happen. In other words, judgment. Judgment is coming to the world. Let me ask you, what is on the horizon right now? Judgment. Judgment is coming to the world. In a sense, it was the gospel. Noah was delivered, the gospel of salvation. Today, the gospel of salvation is going out. And what's interesting is those who receive it, like Noah, those who receive it, their actions will condemn the wicked actions of the world. Just by walking in the light, because the light casts down upon darkness. When Yeshua came into the world, he said, I am the light of the world. He says, do not marvel. He talks about the fact that the world would hate him. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its deeds are evil. That's why the world, Yeshua tells us in John 7, 7, that's why the world hated him. He testifies that its deeds are evil. This is the walk we are supposed to have. This is grace. This is authentic grace. People who are sold out and radical, they have a life, a radical life transformation in their heart. And nothing causes them to move like King David to the left or to the right because they have their eyes on Yeshua and they are following his footsteps. I want to close with this by Yeshua in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. He's speaking. To us, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Ah, interesting, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Isn't it interesting that good works are being demonized today? That is mind-blowing to me. The law is being demonized. It's a curse. Every time we want to go do, no, no, that's a good work. You don't got to do that. Just had a chat with a gal this week because she's a strong believer. And she was indicating to me that she went out and did a missions trip. And one of the things that concerned her is that when she got there, that these people were all concerned with doing good deeds. And they went in there and said, you don't need, need to worry about that. Salvation comes through Yeshua. And, and that component, I'm behind. I'm with that. But why not give the whole gospel? Why not give the grace and saying, good deeds should be the reflection of my acceptance to Yeshua. You will know them by their fruits. See, it's, it's this confusion, though. Because these people are being brought up. They're being taught. Okay, you go out and spread out the gospel. But don't talk about the law. The law is a curse. But good works are not going to do you any good. Again, Are they delivering God's mercy or is it the devil's grace?